You're listening to Cancer Covered. We think of bacteria or viruses, foreign proteins. Those are quite easily recognizable for the immune system. There's not a lot of ways for bacteria and viruses to get around an immune response. But cancer is self to some degree. It started from one of your own cells that had a normal function and unfortunately went awry and started making copies of itself. And for the immune system to recognize that can be extremely challenging. You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology, where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. If you think about it, we were harnessing the immune system to fight disease in the 18th century with the first crude vaccines, almost 150 years before antibiotics. Attempts to deploy the immune system against cancer weren't far behind. The payoff was a long time coming, but the new generation of immune therapies for cancer are already helping patients live longer than ever before. In this episode, we'll explain how these new treatments work and the impressive results they've shown. We'll also discuss the unique problems they can cause and where they still come up short against cancer. Brad, thanks for sitting down to talk with us today. It's awesome to see you. It's good to see you as well, Mitch. We don't get to meet in person that often. Not not very often. Usually when we're running one place or another in different zip codes most of the time. Yeah, passing by phone, basically, is mm-hmm. what we do. And Brad's coming in on his vacation to do this, which is which I also really appreciate. So thanks for taking the time. Absolutely. So, Brad, you've got a keen interest in the immune system and a fair bit of academic background on the subject. Is that right? That's correct. My background goes back to my time at the University of Minnesota, where I was going to be a bone marrow transplanter and then halfway through my fellowship decided this is not for me and moved on to the solid tumor realm and started working with Shali Gupta on immunotherapy when a tezolizumab, one of the immunotherapy drugs, was coming out for bladder cancer. So that's where I got into the immunotherapy realm and picking up on where all these drugs can be used in different solid tumors, what's their activity, what's their side effects, and it, it really sparked an interest at that time. Immune system is pretty interesting. What fascinates you about it? Just the variation in it. You meet certain patients that have problems with an overactive immune system, rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, the mechanisms of those diseases and the drugs that we use to treat them. And then the opposite end of the spectrum in regards to cancer care, where we see typically an underactive immune system, one that's not recognizing a foreign antigen. And how do we tip the immune system into that direction to aid us in cancer care is quite interesting. The the drugs that we use are almost polar opposites in the world of autoimmune and rheumatology and then oncology. Why does the immune system have such a hard time with cancer? You talked about new antigens and the relationship between cancer and the immune system. One of the simplistic ways I think about the immune system, the main job of the immune system is to recognize what is you, self, versus what is non-self. And that's a very simple, overly simple way of thinking about it. But cancer is kind of self. It is self. It's it's self gone awry. And that's the hard thing for the immune system. We think of bacteria or viruses, foreign proteins. Those are quite easily recognizable for the immune system. There's not a lot of ways for bacteria and viruses to get around an immune response. But cancer is self to some degree. It started from one of your own cells that had a normal function 
and unfortunately went awry and started making copies of itself. And for the immune system to recognize that can be extremely challenging. And that's why we see cancer take off without immune system response at times, um, just because it is self. You talked about new antigens, and an antigen is a thing or a way or a feature of a cell that the immune system can use to recognize a difference and then also mount an, uh, an attack to. So do cancers sometimes express antigens that don't normally belong? Yeah, they do. We'll see cancers sometimes have these changes in proteins called mutations in proteins, and they'll be recognized as abnormal by the immune system. The cancers can be tricky in a lot of times that these are inside the cell, which isn't always so observant for the immune system to catch on to, and that's how they avoid immune system detection. Are there other ways that cancers evade immune detection or a response? So there's sometimes that they just don't look different enough, but does the cancer sometimes interact with the immune system in such a way that dampens what might be an immune response? They do. They're very sneaky at that. And that's where our drug targets have started to come in, where they'll actually have means of quieting down the immune system. So the immune system will recognize an antigen on a cancer cell, but the cancer cell has this sneaky way of making those cells quiet down and not kill the cancer. We talk about our immunotherapy drugs. That pathway is what we're actually targeting with the new pdl one drugs is they get rid of that sneaky profile the cancers have to push the, the immune system away. And by doing that, we see the immune system wake up and these T cells and macrophages go do what they're supposed to do and, and kill cancer. And that's the PD-1 molecule, which I think of as a cancer's fake ID to get into the bar. It's, no, chill out. Uh, I'm supposed to be here. That's a good way to put it. I never really thought about the whole fake ID to get into the bar. It's either that or you're taking off the disguise of the cancer. This is what right. you really are. I, I picture a tumor with like a bad mustache and oh, a yeah. bad hat and, or, or two like little kids stacked up together and like, looking like yeah. So that sounds terrific. You amplify an immune response, it attacks the cancer can't hide. What's the downside? The downside is that not every cancer uses this response or cancers have means of getting around this response. So it's not relevant for all forms of cancer. Are there any particular types of cancer that tend to be more susceptible to that PD-1 fake ID pathway versus others? Yeah. The ones that it started off in, in renal cell cancer or kidney cancer, and then also melanoma, the aggressive skin cancer, are probably the two poster childs of the immunotherapies. They're very sensitive to immunotherapies, not always responding, but good responses. And we've also found out there's a multitude of other cancers, including lung cancer, bladder cancer, and that actually have pretty good responses as well in regards to the immunotherapy realm. The ones that we lack a little and we haven't gotten a lot of bang for our buck with the immunotherapies, a lot of the upper GI cancers, such mm -hmm. as pancreatic cancer, prostate cancer for another, and even breast cancer to some degree. We do use them for triple negative breast cancer, but we've not seen big advantages in our hormone-positive breast cancer. And that's a small subset of the breast cancer, so it's not exactly been a home run for yeah. every cancer. It's not, a, it's not a panacea. That's correct. It hasn't really been a game changer in the breast cancer realm. Most breast cancers are not triple negative. Cancer patients are keenly aware of any promising new treatments that show up on the news or in advertising and are often eager to try them. But two important details often get overlooked in the enthusiasm. 
Immunotherapy only works in certain forms of cancer, and these new treatments can still have significant side effects. Do you get patients asking you in the clinic about, why can't I get on this immune therapy that I see advertised on TV? It seems good for, for my neighbor's cancer. Why can't you give it for mine? Do you get questions like that very often? Yeah, there's a lot of questions like that. Patients are really well-educated, and they're seeing a lot of stuff. There's a lot of secondary marketing of them from pharmaceuticals. And with them staying educated, they also come in with a lot of questions about, why can't we do this certain drug, or why not this combination of therapy? And It leads to being a lot of education that we provide the patient in those visits as well. We tend to think of these immune therapies as having less problems or less toxicities than, say, traditional chemotherapy. But there's no free lunches in cancer medicine, really, because there can be some real downsides to immune therapy. What's been your experience with these agents in the field, so to speak? Yeah, the big problems with the immunotherapies is you look at what are those autoimmune diseases, and it's really similar side effects to what we see in some of the autoimmune diseases. We see some of the reactive bronchitis. So a lot of our lung cancer patients will see a lot of this bronchitis-like symptoms. We also see the diarrhea and the enteritis, we call it, or inflammation of the bowels. It's common in, say, the Crohn's disease. Um, Also the dermatitis with skin irritation. So it's a lot of the things that we commonly see in the rheumatology or autoimmune realm that these drugs cause side effects to. I always think of chemotherapy being mostly predictable with side effects. Yeah, there's going to be fatigue. There could be hair loss. And those things we can somewhat get an idea, maybe not always the severity of it. With immunotherapy, it is really crapshoot. It's all over the place with what's going to occur and how severe is the side effect going to be. It's unpredictable on the side effect realm. Tends not to start as quickly as, say, side effects from chemotherapy. Chemotherapy side effects you tend to know right away with the first dose. Oh, man, we're going to have to make adjustments. My observation, and probably yours too, has been that those side effects often don't start until several doses in. Yeah, very unpredictable on time frame. Had people tolerate extremely well for months upon months, and then all of a sudden, boom, here comes a side effect. Also, the other way around, I've had a side effect up front. You've treated it by suppressing the immune system, a little bit of steroids, and then the side effect with a little bit of treatment with steroids doesn't recur. So it's, it is a little bit unpredictable in that realm. Though it's important to be aware of the downsides, the first generation of immunotherapies for cancer has already shown dramatic success for many. But it took a long time to get here. Using the immune system to fight cancer isn't a new idea. It goes back to the middle of the last century. But because the immune system is so complex, It's taken a long time to develop the tools to direct it in a controlled way. Brad and I talked about some of the earliest forms of immune therapy and why we're glad to move past them. Yeah, they've been game changers in a lot of different cancers. I mean, we think of even the non-small cell lung cancer realm. Our stage four, five-year survival prior to immunotherapy was 5%. And all of a sudden with immunotherapy, we're up around 15%. Now, uh-huh. that doesn't sound like a lot, but there's a lot of lung cancer patients. And 10% of 200,000 patients per year, That's that starts to be a big number that we're helping quite a bit. And we're using these drugs instead of other likely more toxic drugs that don't even give us the same benefit that these immunotherapies do. So they've really pushed our our field forward. And 
hopefully we're just scratching the surface on the immunotherapy and find other pathways that we can target and other means of helping cancer patients. It's been true in melanoma and renal cell cancer as well. A lot of those patients that are responding well to the immunotherapy, they can get on it and they can stay on it for a long time. And they're absolutely blowing the top off of the survival curves that we used to think about. Yeah. I'm seeing people making it you know, quite a long time on these drugs. And you and I are old enough to remember the days of IL-2 and that, that like nuclear weapon we used to hammer people with in the mm-hmm. hospital that 40-pound weight gains, heart failure, kidney injury. And that was all we really had in the immunotherapy realm. And these drugs have far surpassed re- responses and durability responses of, of those agents. So IL-2 was a very nonspecific inflammatory marker. So we'd give it, and it's a, it, it drives a lot of inflammation in the body. We learned that it, it worked in some cases in, in both renal cell and melanoma, and it was actually the first-line therapy. And we'd admit patients to a hospital. We'd give them a dose every eight hours. We'd try to get about 12 doses in. During that time, it causes so much inflammation that people end up having kidney injuries, a third space fluid everywhere. They gain about 40 pounds because we've got to keep hydrating them to try to keep the kidneys functional. And all that was for about a 15% response rate in both cancers. And some durability response around 5 or 6%, but it was the advent of the immunotherapy in our 20th slash 21st century cancer care. And these new drugs are just a much more targeted version of that. I always think of IL-2 of being like a systemic, almost like a nuclear war, mm-hmm. whereas these newer drugs are a little more like smart bombs, where they're targeting one specific mm-hmm. little target uh, in the immune system that's not causing nearly as many side effects and actually has a, a better benefit and better efficacy. Another form of immune therapy that's actually been around for quite a while and it's still around is allogeneic stem cell transplant. This is the kind of transplant when a donor's bone marrow stem cells get put into a patient. And the idea of this being immune therapy, I think sometimes we think of a bone marrow transplant as we're just going to give a lot of chemotherapy and then rescue the bone marrow with bone marrow stem cells. Well, if that was the only way that stem cell transplant did what it did against cancer, you could just give somebody their own stem cells back. But we know in things like acute leukemia and in certain forms of lymphoma that we actually need that donor immune response to come in and help clean clean up the cancer. It's called the graft versus leukemia effect. And it was first described, I think, back in the 1970s out in Washington State, I think at the Fred Hutchinson. Cancer Probably Center. at Hutch, yeah. The first transplant in pediatrics was at the University of Minnesota. And that was the first transplant where I happened to do fellowship at. I throw them a bone with that. But yeah, what you're describing with the aloe transplant, you describe both. Really, getting your own stem cells back is just a means of getting a very high dose of chemotherapy. And that's the treatment. Mm-hmm. Where that aloe transplant is, you're getting a whole new immune system. And the hope that suppresses this leukemia that your initial or native immune system did not recognize as abnormal and could not take care of. So that's where we see the new bone marrow as being uh, a good option to say, can I keep this leukemia at bay in a subset of patients? Now, those allo transplants come with a multitude of different side effects and toxicities. The graft versus host, you described graft versus leukemia, but that graft versus host where that new bone marrow is attacking host is some of the similar things that we see with these new immune therapies. Looks like lupus. It looks like scleroderma. It looks like Crohn's disease. It looks like all of those nasty autoimmune problems that are such a hard thing to live with. 
Yeah, and you see a lot of that in the, in the graft versus host. We don't see it quite as much in the in our immunotherapy drug realm, but definitely the taking care of transplant patients, it's a lot of different side effects with that graft versus host from the allotransplant. One of the things I found most interesting about the graft versus leukemia or the graft versus cancer effect, how they identified it and they recognized it as a thing was, first of all, they saw that patients who had absolutely no graft versus host disease, not as many of them stayed in remission. So that if you had the bad stuff that came with the side effects of a foreign immune system, you also had a better response against the cancer. The other thing that was really interesting is in the early days, there were a couple of instances where identical twins would be donors to one another. And you think, hey, perfect match. It's great. And it is. It's You, you have almost none of the graft versus host effect. But the relapse rate was much higher in grafts and transplants between identical twins. And so some really smart people started looking at it and teased out that we probably need the immune therapy. Yeah, we need a new immune system that's not identical, the one that failed. Close, but not identical. It's walking that fine line of, we need an immune system that's going to stir up a response and go kill some leukemia cells. No one should carry the burden of cancer alone. And while every physician approaches cancer with their own unique skill set, we all agree on this one simple idea. Hi, I'm Dr. Gayu, a physician at Green Bay Oncology. The truth is, a cancer diagnosis can make you and your loved ones feel isolated and overwhelmed. And these moments are exactly when you need support the most. That's why all our doctors rely on the support of our team of qualified medical professionals. And here's two of them. Hi, I'm Madison Young. And I'm Tom Beckers. As social workers, we see how meaningful connection brings strength and healing to patients and loved ones facing cancer every single day. Our patients and physicians agree, sharing your experience in a safe space with others is powerful and therapeutic. That's why we offer a free monthly virtual and in-person cancer support group facilitated for you, wherever you are on your cancer journey. So whether by internet, phone, or in-person, you'll have access to the support of a community on a similar path. To join us, visit gboncology.com and click on support. Brad's direct experience with stem cell transplant showed him the potential for cellular-based immune therapy. And we're beginning to take the first steps by reprogramming a person's own immune cells to target their cancer specifically. This is called CAR T-cell therapy, and it's one of the most exciting developments in decades. Yeah, we take a, a T-cell, which is uh, the T-cell from the patient. It's a normal immune T-cell. They're cytotoxic T-cells. So what these T-cells do is they're like the foot soldier T-cell of the immune system that goes around and kills things that express certain antigens or, or certain proteins and recognize them as abnormal and then kill that cell. So what we do is we take the patient's T-cells and we actually add a gene to the T-cells. So we add an actual receptor to one of the cancer cell receptors. And then we make a whole bunch of them in a Petri dish and then give them back to patients and hope that these T-cells go recognize this antigen and kill a lot of cancer cells. Where we're mostly doing that right now is in the lymphoma leukemia realm. Hopefully at some point we can see that traverse over to the solid tumor realm. And this is therapy that 
is going on right now. There are patients that are receiving this treatment both as part of experimental trial and sometimes not as part of an experimental trial. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's correct. We've got six drugs approved right now, five for the leukemia realm and lymphoma realm, one for multiple myeloma. It's really moving pretty quickly now. We've seen lots of approvals here in the last couple of years in this realm and probably more to come as we develop more targets. So that's where it's really exciting. We've commonly used the same target and now we're starting to open up different antigen targets that that we can use these cells and hopefully see further response. Where do you think the future of immune therapy for cancer is going to go? You've you've talked a little bit about some of the directions. Do you, do you see any other things? Do you think there's any future for cancer vaccines? There's been work done trying to find a good cancer vaccine as, as long as I've been a resident. And uh, so far, we don't have a lot to show for it. Do you think there's much future there or in other endeavors? In the vaccine realm, we've got actually a primary preventative vaccine, which works extremely well with HPV. So the H- HPV vaccines actually can prevent cancer altogether, as in taking care of this virus, HPV, which causes almost all of cervical cancer and about half of head and neck cancer. And with vaccination in early age, we're hoping to see the Gen Z and millennial populations have much lower risk of these cancers with this vaccination. Um, vaccines can also be used likely in treatments of cancers. We've had a lot of clinical trials with it. We've not had any big successes as of yet, but when I think about it, I think of using it together with immunotherapy. It bolsters that response to a specific antigen in a cancer cell that you can introduce with a vaccine, and then hopefully our immunotherapy helps stimulate that immune system enough that you recognize that antigen as abnormal and you see some benefit in in cancer treatment. I've wondered if some of the newer methods of developing vaccine that we saw with COVID might be a more effective vehicle, at the very least, to be able to turn over more vaccines for testing more quickly. Many vaccines, if not most vaccines that people think of, are relying on glycoproteins, really, really persnickety things to manipulate in the lab. They're very hard to mimic. They're very hard to synthesize. But the COVID vaccine was the product of using mRNA technology, which essentially just gives the program for the thing the immune systems to go after and let your body build it. And it's a lot more efficient, a lot more effective, not nearly as persnickety. And it's also higher throughput and a lot quicker turnaround. So I've been really excited by, first of all, how fast we get a COVID vaccine, which was terrific. But the potential deployment of, of that in other realms. Yeah, the mRNA technology was actually developed for cancer treatment. You want to mm-hmm. target one specific antigen, have a cell produce it. Like you said, trying to get these glycoproteins, which is taking a protein and then processing in the cell with adding sugar molecules to it, is very tricky in a lab. And you're right, why not let the, the manufacturing center known as our cells take care of that process? And it was amazing to see how well that would work. And maybe that tips us over a little further in the cancer realm where now we have this technology we use on a large scale and we can move forward in the cancer realm with certain antigens and get some benefit from this. There's been a lot of interest in using so-called immune boosters and the complementary and alternative medicine uh, arena, things to enhance the immune system to fight cancer better. Uh, Anything to any of it? We've used a, we've had a lot of clinical trials on a multitude of different uh, medications, and anything that we find in our realm that that works, we typically move forward with it in our practice of medicine. Thinking of a lot of the immune boosters and things from 
the outside world, say nutrition clinics and things. I think of like turmeric. I think of some of the anti-helminth agents. We've tried a lot of those things in cancer treatment. We haven't seen much benefit of it. And it's been picked up a little bit by mainstream media and other things. And I'll always be practical with patients when they come in with that. The biggest thing in my mind is do no harm to the patient with these drugs if there's no benefit. Second thing is make sure there's no interactions with our chemotherapy drugs. So mm-hmm. the turmerics of the world and some of the vitamins, I'm, I'm okay with as long as it's not interacting with the chemotherapy drugs. The anti-helminth agents have a multitude of side effects themselves. So I stay away from those just because they can cause their own problems with cytopenias and, and side effects. Cardiac issues, arrhythmias, all kinds of things like that. I, I'm like you, Brad. I, I'm never going to quibble with results. And I, I, I have no problem with people doing things that we can reasonably feel are safe. But as far as the nutraceutical immune boosters, there seems to be a lot more enthusiasm than results. And I'm, and I'm just as disappointed as anybody. I was, I had high hopes for that stuff too. Yeah. Anything that works, we use it. You look at our chemotherapy drugs we've used for the last 40 years. A lot of them are natural botany products. Right. And that's what we're using in cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's where we came from. And all of our new immunotherapies that we're coming out with, these are hopefully more beneficial, a little less toxic. They're all synthetic. These are all synthetic molecules that we've come up with in the lab. And it shows us we're moving away from probably more toxic environmental treatments and moving on to more engineered biotechnology that's going to provide better benefits and less harm to patients. Exciting times exciting times. Brett, great talking with you. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Mitch. It's good to see you and good chat. All right. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Covered. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, search available clinical trials, or even apply to become a member of the team, go to gboncology.com. Gboncology.com.